that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, there doesn't seem to be too much within the cross of Jesus Christ that makes sense when it comes to the wisdom of men. Why did Jesus go through everything that he went through just to get to the cross? The question that I want to present before you this morning is a question that I think is important for all of us to ask. Can you think of any reason why Jesus should not have died on the cross? Can you think of any reason why Jesus shouldn't have died on the cross? Now, there are some obvious answers to this question. One reason why Jesus shouldn't have gone to the cross is because we didn't ask for it. God says if there's something that we need, that we can ask in faith, and, and then He will give it to us if it's within His will. But we didn't ask for the cross. Of course, we weren't there at the time, but none of us, no one, asked for the cross. We wouldn't wish it upon Jesus. With what we know about Jesus being the Son of God, being one of innocent character, being one of perfect stature, we wouldn't wish this upon the one we love. And we didn't deserve it. While we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Jesus died on the cross for us. We didn't deserve it. We're not worthy of it. These are some obvious answers as to why Jesus shouldn't have died on the cross. There's also some just reasons why Jesus shouldn't have died on the cross. The Gospel of Mark probably gives us the best picture of the Jewish trial that Jesus went through, better than some of the other Gospel records, at least more complete in its picture. We know that the Jewish court system from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20, it was a system that was designed by God to be just, designed to be holy. There are just reasons why Jesus should have never gone to the cross. When we see Jesus as, he, as He's brought from the Garden of Gethsemane to the palace of Caiaphas, Caiaphas was the Roman-appointed high priest. Jesus was subjected to a line of questioning there. And then he was sent over to the house of Annas. He was the true high priest. He was Caiaphas' father-in-law. Annas then subjected Jesus to another line of questioning. Then he sent him back across the courtyard over to Caiaphas' house where Jesus endured even another series of questions. By this time, the council had been brought in. They had enough time to round up the 71 members so that they could have a council against Jesus. But there was a problem with this. See, it was nighttime. The court was in complete contempt of anything that was just. They weren't supposed to convene at night. Not only that, it was absolutely forbidden for the court to be in session on the eve of the Sabbath. Throughout the process, John tells us that they were 
they were seeking to find guilt against Jesus, seeking to find some reason to hold a charge against Him. They brought in certain witnesses. And several of these witnesses would make accusations against Jesus. But Mark tells us that none of them ever agreed with the other. Even though there were some who were saying, this man Jesus, one day he said he would tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. Mark says they didn't even agree. We look back into the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 19, 2. Credible witnesses. And if they were shown to be disqualified, if they were shown to be inconsistent, whatever charge they were trying to bring, whatever penalty that would have been held against the accused, that would be placed upon them, the accuser. It's a very serious charge. The standard of justice was ignored. You've heard in our system of law, innocent until proven guilty. Well, the Jews believe that too, except in this case. In every capital trial, it was meant that, that an advocate was given to the accused, to speak on his behalf. Jesus was never offered an advocate. He was questioned immediately and deliberately by the council without any help, without any aid given to him. They'd met at night, and before the sun had even risen, they brought charges against Jesus. According to tradition, any charge of guilt in a capital trial couldn't be given until at least a 24-hour period of fasting had gone through. But if through this line of questioning, the council members decided that this individual was guilty, that they were worthy of death for what crime they had committed, before that sentence could be given, there had to be a 24-hour period of fasting. And we know all of this with Jesus took place in just a matter of hours, even before the sun came up. And then you consider the holiness that was supposed to be a part of the judicial system. The high priest himself was to remain a beacon of holiness, a beacon of light in this community of members of the council. And it was absolutely forbidden for any high priest to tear his clothes. But whenever the high priest Caiaphas, whenever he was questioning Jesus. He asked him, are you the Christ? And, and Jesus responded by saying, I am. Caiaphas tore his clothes. An abomination in the sight of God. Any one of these reasons should have kept Jesus from going to the cross. Any one of these irregularities. And these are just a handful. There are, there are countless others. But Jesus shouldn't have gone to the cross just based on even one of these. The case should have been completely thrown out. And there's another reason why Jesus shouldn't have gone to the cross. There's the conscience answer. The council came back together in the early hours of the morning. They took Jesus and bound him and delivered him over to Pontius Pilate. The Jews decided that Jesus was worthy of death, but they had no authority to execute this penalty. Only the Roman governor could give that order. So they now had to rely on Pilate. 
to do what they wanted to have done. So about 5 o'clock in the morning, they start knocking on his door. And out comes Pilate. He's probably figuring that this is, is some petty argument, another one of those petty arguments from the Jews. But it's there they present this man, Jesus. So Pilate asks him, what charge do you, do you have against this man? Now this is the first time, ironically, the first time that someone has been just enough to ask this question. What charge do you bring against this man? And the Jewish leaders, they became very brash, very arrogant in their response. They said, if this man wasn't an evildoer, then we wouldn't have brought him to you in the first place. But Pilate tried to just pass him off. Okay, just take, what, take him. Deal with him according to your law. Pilate didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, so he just tried to pass him off. We need to notice what Pilate just did here. See, Pilate, or the Roman government, they frowned upon stoning people to death. And now Pilate said, I'm going to turn a blind eye. And you just deal with Jesus the way you want to deal with him. But they couldn't do that. See, it was the feast day. They had, they had some standards. Blood couldn't be on their hands on this day. Then they would be impure. They wouldn't be able to participate in the Passover. And so Pilate pulls Jesus inside. And he asks him a few questions. And he comes back out and he says, I find no fault in this man. There's the acquittal. Pilate says, this man hasn't done anything wrong, certainly nothing that's worthy of death. And maybe here Pilate's thinking, yeah, you know, he's a little bit crazy. Even his family was saying that about him, but he hadn't done anything that's worthy of death. But Pilate had found himself in a predicament. According to Luke chapter 13, Jesus reminds us that Pilate had mingled the blood of the Galileans with the sacrifices. That's just one of about three or four different instances where Pilate had become someone who was despised by the Jews. The relationship that Pilate had with the Jews was, was horrible because of several different circumstances in which Pilate had Jews killed or when, when he went against Rome's wishes to maintain peace in Jerusalem. Several different times, Tiberius Caesar sent word to reprimand Pilate. Jerusalem had become for Pilate a testing ground for future Roman leadership. If he could make it there, then perhaps one day he could make it in Rome. And at this point, he had several strikes already against him. All he needed now was word getting back to Tiberius Caesar that he was once again causing problems in Jerusalem. So the reason why he was there in the first place was to keep the peace. The last thing they needed was a riot. Pilate was in a predicament. Well, in the conversation with the Jewish leaders, he, he found out that Jesus was a Galilean. And he came up with another bright idea. Pilate, a man full of bright ideas. I don't have to deal with this anymore. I'll send him over to Herod because this is Herod's jurisdiction anyway. And so he sent him over to Herod. Pilate was probably thinking, I'm done with him now. 
I'm through with them. I won't have to deal with it. I'm free. I can maintain my, my governorship right here in Jerusalem, and one day I can finally get to Rome. But over at Herod's place, Jesus was standing before a man who had nothing more than just an idle curiosity about Jesus, asking questions to Jesus that, that probably had no significance, no importance whatsoever. A man who was godless to the core. A man responsible for the beheading of John the Baptist. And throughout the entire process of the events leading up to the cross, Jesus was astonishingly quiet. He didn't have much to say. But only in the presence of Herod did Jesus not utter even a single word. After Herod questions him, he finds no guilt in Jesus either. And so he sends him back to Pilate. And can you imagine the blood just draining from Pilate's face as he sees now an even larger crowd bringing Jesus back to him? I thought I was through with this man. I thought I'd let him go. And so after they brought him, brought him back, after they brought Jesus back, Pilate questions him once again. And he comes back out to the people and he says to them, this man is innocent. I'll punish him, but then I'll release him. Now, he probably thought that this would be a healthy compromise. It would satisfy the Jews' thirst for blood. I'll punish him, but then I'll let him go. That way, we can all win. But they pressed him harder and harder. And so Pilate came up with another idea. It had become a custom during the week of the Passover feast that the Roman government, in an effort to appease the Jews, they would release a prisoner back to them. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner, a man by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was a rebel. He was a murderer. And so Pilate digs down deep into the, the darkest parts of the jail, and he brings out this horrible criminal Barabbas. Now, no doubt Pilate here was trying to appeal to the Jews' sense of morality. He knew how much uh, the they hated the Roman government, but surely, surely they wouldn't condone murder. Surely they would release Jesus. It's as if these two men are presented before the Jews. And as they are, word comes to Pilate. A messenger comes to him, word from his wife, and, and she's telling him, have nothing to do with that just man, for I suffered great things in a dream because of him. Pilate looks out at the crowd, and he says, who shall I give? And they cry out, give us Barabbas. And so Pilate makes one last plea. Looking at Jesus and looking at the crowd, he says, what has this man done? It's at that point in John's account that the Jew, Jewish leaders, they, they looked up at him and they said, if you let this man go, you're no friend to Caesar. Any man who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And so Pilate calls for a wash basin. And he tries to release himself from the blood of Jesus by washing his hands. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he says. 
seven times, Pilate tries to rid himself of Jesus. Is there any reason why Jesus shouldn't have gone to the cross? Well, because Pilate knew he was innocent. He shouldn't have had to gone to the cross. Pilate knew he was innocent. And seven times he tried to rid himself of Jesus, but he couldn't get rid of him. Seven times he tried to free him. He couldn't get rid of him. Seven times he tried to release himself, but he couldn't release himself from Jesus. We could come up with any number of reasons why Jesus shouldn't have gone to the cross. Just look at the hall of soldiers. Jesus was sent to be scourged. Now, not everyone that was to die on the cross was scourged. Some people were taken directly to the cross, but Jesus was sent first to be scourged. It was handed off into the hands of the Roman lictors, whose very purpose was to bring a man to the point of death and then leave him there living to endure the cross. They called it the half death. And most people, they didn't even survive the scourging. For physical reasons, Jesus shouldn't have died on the cross. He was so weakened. He was so battered. He couldn't even carry his own cross to Calvary. Simon had to carry it for him. Why couldn't have Jesus just picked up the cross and just fallen down on the road and died? He shouldn't have even made it to Calvary. Is there any reason why Jesus shouldn't have died on the cross? Church, there are plenty of reasons why he shouldn't have died on the cross. But he did. And you know, I can't help but wonder, reflecting on the cross of Christ, reflecting on all the events that surrounded it, I can't help but wonder why. Why did he go through all of that? Why did he go through all the shame? all the agony, all the pain. Jesus' shame and his pain, it didn't save me from my sins. Jesus' shame and Jesus' pain, it didn't save you from your sins. His death on the cross did that. His death on the cross is what saved us from our sins. So why did Jesus have to go through all the mockery and, and being spat upon, being hit, and being scourged? Why did he have to go through all of that? It was God's plan for him to go to the cross. Why couldn't he have just gone up to any old Roman soldier and said, Hey, could you just nail me to this cross and, and, and drop it in the ground and let me hang there and die? Why couldn't he have done that? Because it's in his shame. It's in the shame of the events of the cross that motivates our passion to look at Jesus and to respond to him in gratitude. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, one version says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising 
the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The shame and the pain and the agony of the cross is to motivate our passion to, to respond to the cross in gratefulness. To look at the cross and to realize that He gave Himself. He did all of this. He endured all of this. He despised the shame for me and for you. And not just for us, here in this room today, but for those who are watching online. And not just for them either, even for those who aren't even hearing this message. Jesus died on the cross for all of us. And He endured all of that for all of us. So it motivates us. It ought to motivate us to respond with appreciation. Not to reject it, not to belittle it, not to make a mockery of it, but to respond to it with obedience. So let me ask you again. Can you think of any reason at all why Jesus should not have died on the cross? Any reason at all? When it comes down to it, there is absolutely no legitimate reason that would keep Jesus away from the cross. You couldn't keep Jesus away from the cross even if you tried. And Peter, he tried. Jesus said, I, I must go into Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of men. And, Je and Peter said, far be it from you, Lord. Don't do it. Jesus was standing in the garden where, when Judas came and betrayed him with a, a kiss. And just as they're about to, to haul Jesus away, what does Peter do? He reaches and he grabs that sword and he cuts off Malchus' ear. That probably wasn't the wisest thing to do with probably around 600 soldiers standing around. But Peter couldn't stop it. Jesus was going to the cross. And whenever we see the cross, we see a true picture of sacrifice. Now sometimes we mistake a loss or a sacrifice. Church, you may lose something that's very special to you, but that's not a sacrifice because a sacrifice is a choice. Jesus chose the cross and He was in control the entire time. Even as early as 12 years old, we see Jesus with His compass pointed in the direction of the cross. We see Him in the temple. He, he was asked what He was doing there. Remember His answer? I must be about my Father's business. As Jesus began His ministry, what was He preaching? He was preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus knew the kingdom couldn't come unless He died on the cross. He was telling His disciples how, how no man took His life from Him, but that He laid it down by His own authority. Even standing before Pilate, Jesus said, you have no authority over me. You can't take my life because I'm in control. And even as you look into the book of Acts, you see the disciples in the first century. 
They're praying to God, and they recognize that Jesus was murdered at the hands of Pilate and Herod and the Jews and the Greeks. But ultimately, what is it that they say? They say, God, it was all your plan. You determined this before the world even began. This was your idea, and you carried it out to the fullest. Jesus was in control the entire time. You look at that morning, that night, those early hours of the morning. All throughout, there was confusion and, and, and craziness and bewilderment. And the only one who was in control was Jesus. You look at the Jewish trial. Questions coming from all directions, being bombarded. Inconsistencies abounding from the witnesses. Holiness being corrupted by, by the council. Who was in control? Jesus was. You see Jesus in front of Pilate. Pilate was absolutely amazed. He was in awe over the answers and over the disposition of Jesus in this situation. Pilate kept trying to release him and, and trying to release him another time and trying to release him again and again. Pilate was utterly and completely confused. But who was in control? Jesus was in control. And then you fast forward and you see Jesus hanging on the cross. All the crowd below Him shouting, If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. He saved Himself, or He saved others, but now He can't save Himself. The thieves hanging on each side, railing at Him. But we see Jesus in one of His final breaths. Luke 23, verse 46, Jesus says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was in control, even at the point of death. It was no accident. It wasn't a farce. There are no flaws about it. Jesus chose it, and He was in control of it the entire time. And so let's ask this question. Can you think of any reason why you would tell Jesus that his death was pointless? You think you'd be able to do that? If there was a, a possibility to be able to stand face to face, personally one-on-one -on -one with Jesus Christ, would any one of us be so bold as to say to him, your decision, your choice was worthless, it was pointless, it was meaningless? Would we be so corrupt in our thinking that we could look Jesus square in the eyes and say the cross was in vain? It holds no purpose. I would imagine that anyone with just an ounce of faith that Jesus is the Son of God would consider that to be a complete disgrace. To stand in front of the Son of God Himself and tell him that his choice was an ignorant choice. Paul thought that that would be a disgrace. Paul says, if I continue to preach on circumcision, then what has the cross become? It's become of no purpose. If I preach righteousness is by the law, then I've removed the cross from its purpose. Paul even went to the point of saying, if I try to speak with eloquent words and in the wisdom of men, I've emptied the cross of its power. 
Now, obviously, Paul knew and he understood there was nothing he could do or nothing he could not do that would empty the cross of its power, but he could empty it from himself. The Hebrews writer tells us that it's possible to profane the blood of the covenant and trample underfoot the Son of God by our willful disobedience. These writers, they considered it a disgrace to look at the cross as if it was pointless. Now, church, I'm trying to appeal to your heart now. Not so much the intellect, but your heart. I'm not going to provide any new evidence for anything within the Bible. I'm not saying anything new. I'm appealing, I hope, to your heart. And I'm asking you to consider the shame of the cross. And let that be a motivation that, that builds up a passion in the way that you respond to the cross. Could you tell Jesus that his death was pointless? Could you do it? Let me share with you just a few thoughts. If compassion for our fellow man is of no value, then Jesus' death was pointless. If I can't love others, then Jesus died for no reason. If it's not important, if it's not necessary, if it's not good for me to love the souls of other people, then Jesus' death was pointless. If I consider myself to be of greater worth than Jesus, then His death was pointless. Paul said, There are many who walk, of whom I told you often, now I'll tell you, even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, whose mind is on earthly things. If we hold the authority to dispense God's grace or God's wrath, then Jesus' death was pointless. We have one lawgiver, James says, and it's not me. And it's not you. God didn't give us the authority to condemn. Now, He's given us His Word so that we can know the difference between those things that are condemned and those things that aren't, those things that He honors. But He didn't give us the authority to condemn. If He had given us the authority to condemn others, then Jesus' death on the cross would be pointless. Here's another one. If our salvation can be earned, then Jesus' death was pointless. If I could somehow figure out the proper number of things that I could do to earn my salvation, then Jesus' death on the cross would have been in vain. If sin is relative, then Jesus' death was pointless. And this is one I think sometimes we might have a little trouble with. There are some sins that we look at and we, we snub our nose at them. We consider some of these to be the sin of sins of sins. But my little sins over here, well, they don't really mean that much. They're no big deal. Church, they are a big deal. Because Jesus died on the cross even for those little sins. Jesus didn't just die for the big sins, the ugly sins, those sins that sicken us. 
Jesus died for every sin. Those little white lies. That little bit of gossiping, that little bit of cheating here and there, that little bit of covetousness, that little bit of lust. Jesus died for those sins. For me to look at those sins, those little sins, and say they are of no consequence, then I'm saying that Jesus' death on the cross is pointless. If the church isn't important, then Jesus' death on the cross was pointless. Acts 20, verse 28 tells us that Jesus shed His blood for His church. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this said, and you've heard it said, I'm, I'm sure too. I live for Christ, but not the church. I love Jesus, but not the church. How can you do that? You can't do that. You can't separate Christ from the church. He's the head of it. To say you're a Christian, but not a part of the church, is to say you're not a Christian. Christ shed His blood for the sanctity and the purity and the saving scheme that's found within His church. Now, I'm not talking about brick and mortar. I'm talking about the called out. You can't be in Christ if you're outside of Christ. It doesn't make sense. And if what he shed his blood for is not important, then we might as well look Jesus in the eye and say, your death was useless. If God will make exceptions then Jesus' death was pointless. If somehow on the day of judgment, God will say, you know, I don't see your name here in the book of life, but you know what? For you, I'm going to make an exception. If that could happen, then why did Jesus die on the cross? It was pointless. Revelation 21, verse 27 tells us that the only ones who will enter in are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Maybe sometimes we think about the day of judgment as if it's a drawing for a prize. We've all put our names in there in the hat, and while our names are in there, God shakes it up, and, and He digs down in there, and He pulls out a name, and He says, Here you go, this person. You're going to heaven. Congratulations. And you're standing there, you're thinking, well, the name's not in the book of life. God's not going to say, you know what? I made an exception for this person. If God makes exceptions on the day of judgment outside of what he has promised and laid out for us in the gospel, then Jesus' death on the cross was pointless. If repentance has no solution, then Jesus' death on the cross was pointless. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. If I'm not willing to take up my cross, Jesus' death on the cross was pointless. Repentance has a solution. 
by turning my life in response to what Jesus has done for me, I'm heading in the direction that the cross pushes me toward. If I'm not willing to make a change in my life, then I'm saying the cross has no power. If obedience isn't necessary, then Jesus' death was pointless. We could go on and on and on. But if I'm to live in fear, just believing that by sheer dumb luck that I would get to heaven, then Jesus' death on the cross was pointless. All those scriptures within the Bible that point directly to the cross, if I could just untie those and say they're not important, then Jesus' death on the cross was pointless. Now we know that all Scripture is tied to the cross because Jesus is the fulfillment of all Scripture. But if I could just untie just a few of those things away from the cross, those things that are directly associated with the cross, then I'll look in the face of Jesus and I'll say your death was Could any one of us be so bold as to look at our lives and evaluate our lives and simply say, I know that Jesus died on the cross for me. But then look Jesus in the face and say, you're not worth it. Could you tell Jesus that his death was pointless? Church, the real point of this story, the real point of this lesson is that Jesus chose the cross because you are not pointless. The point of all of it is that just as Jesus chose the cross, we need to cross out ourselves and choose Him. If your desire this morning is to choose Him, choose Him now. We stand together and sing. Oh, wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord, wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love. <clears throat> there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. Oh, wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. He taketh my burdens away. He holdeth me up, and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love. And covers me there with his hand. 
and covers me there with his hand. With numberless blessings each moment he crowns and fill with his fullness divine. I sing in my rapture, O oh, glory to God, for such a Redeemer as mine. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, those a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand, and covers me there with his hand. When clothed in his brightness, transported I arise to meet him in clouds of the sky. His perfect salvation, his wonderful love, I'll shout with the millions on high. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me. Be seated, please. Now, we get used to normal, don't we? Uh, if this was a, a normal August, there'd be a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation for getting back to school. Maybe not so much for some people, but uh, I think we, as, as things change and as time goes on, we begin to develop a greater appreciation for some things that we didn't appreciate before. Well, this was a normal Sunday in August, this would be about the time that we would invite all of our students, all of our teachers, all of our faculty, all of our staff to come down to the front. And together, we would see them all, we would recognize all of them, and we would encourage them into having a, a great school year. We can't do all of that today. We can't have everybody come down to the front and, and have a big group. But what I want to do, I want to ask if you're a student, if you're a teacher, if you're a faculty member, if, you're, if you work at a school, please stand. Now, if you are a person who loves at least one of these people, please stand. I hope that everyone's standing that can. Together, through this time of uncertainty, through this time of confusion, through this time of, we don't know what's going to happen next. Together with God, we can make it. Together with God, we can do it. So from the youngest to the oldest, God's in control. He's got this. Let's lean on Him. Let's listen to what He says. Let's do what He says. And together, this may just be the best year of school yet. 
One of our elders, Bill Brunkhart, is going to lead us in a word of prayer for all who are standing, for all who are in school or affiliated with people who are in school. And so I'll turn it over to Bill now. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, the lesson we listened to this morning should bring us back to Jesus Christ. Now, the greatest of these is love. And you share us that love through your son, Jesus. You have such a hope for each one of us through faith that we might accept him as the son of God, that we might accept that he did come to this earth, that we might truly accept that he did go to that cross and that we might truly accept that he overcame death. And through all this, we all have a hope. Today, dear Heavenly Father, we're going to stop for a few minutes. We're going to look at our situation, not just here in the United States, but worldwide. Of all the things that's going on, but in the middle of it, we have a virus. And this virus has changed a lot of things for the American people. This past year, our kids missed a lot of school, last part of the school year. This virus changed the way they, they have done things at the end of the school year and through the summer. It's changed the families in the way we would have spent the summer, most likely. Dear Heavenly Father, we take a look at our teachers and how they had to walk away from what they enjoy doing, teaching those kids at the end of the school year. And then they had to start concentrating this summer, not really knowing where they was headed for the kids this year. And we think about administrators, we think about those who are in politics, those that are involved with our governor in making decisions of, for our school system. And God, this virus has changed a lot of things. So as our children prepare to go back to school, no matter what level it is, from preschool to college age, as a going to be a totally different situation than what they've been used to, most likely. We ask that you'd be with our teachers as they prepare for these kids, that they'll have a positive attitude for what they're about to undergo. We ask that you'd be with our administrators and those in politics, that they really think about the kids and what's really important, and that's their education. But in all this, we also have to remember the safety, the health problems that might arise by all of them going back to school. So God, we just ask that you 
be with them. And God, we know that you are the great God and that you are the creator of all things. And you know what's ahead of us. And God, so through faith, just help each one of us to turn our every day over to you or every minute knowing that you're in total control and that we will make it through this year and our kids will make it through this year and these families will make it through this year because we have faith in you. So God, just take care of them. Help these children to continue to open up their minds that they might continue their education. God, we ask that you'd be with our teachers and their efforts that they've already put forth and they would continue with a positive attitude for our kids and that you would bless each one of those teachers and use them in their service and the things that they know how to do most of all is that teach these kids. God, be with the administrators as the times come up where things might fall backwards with this virus, might go backwards from what, where we're at right now because of all the numbers going back to school. So give them the wisdom and the insight that they need to overcome. So once again, God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have. And we thank you for our faith that we're able to have in you, knowing that you'll take care of all this for us. Just help us to continue to walk in that faith. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, I am blown away. Today has been wonderful. James, you knocked it out of the park. By the way, if you heard it a while ago, I went, well, that was the hit, okay? <laughs> he knocked it out of the park. And thank you so much for everybody to be here today. Now, I know that we have some visitors. And for those of you who've been here for ages, be sure and seek out these visitors and greet them. We also have at least one person here who has moved to town looking for work. Seek out that person and uh, make them feel welcome. Now then, for next week, I think that you can probably hear a lesson next week as good as you heard this morning. And I say hallelujah to that. Okay, we're about to leave here and go into the mission field. So I'm asking you to be diligent in being that missionary out there. Be humble, but don't stumble. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing as we leave here today. Lord, may we always be prepared to tell people why we're happy, why we have so much joy. And Lord, I pray that we will honor you in everything that we do out there in the mission field. In Christ's name, amen. Go with God, and he'll go with you. He came to live, live a perfect life. He came to be living word our life he came to die so we'd be reconciled he came to show 
to show his power and might, and that's why we praise him, that's why we sing, that's why we offer him our everything, that's we bow down and worship this king, cause he gave his everything. Cause he gave his everything. He came to live, live again in us. He came to be our conquering king and friend. He came to heal and show the lost ones his love. He came to blow, prepare a place for us. And that's why we praise him. That's why we sing. That's why we offer him our everything. That's why we and worship this king, cause he gave his everything, cause he gave his everything. Y'all have a great Sunday. Come, ye sinners, for